when I'm in the world, I'm sort of constantly looking at just the way light is falling on things and, and thinking like, oh, that could be a good painting, but also just trying to appreciate my surroundings. I mean, so much of, for me, looking in the world is just trying to be happy in the places that I am. Like pretty much anything can be beautiful with the right light falling on it. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 141st episode, I'm joined by Sarah Pedigo, who is a representational painter. We talk about a variety of different bodies of work from her past, as well as her current paintings, which all focus on painting from observation. So look forward to that interview. If you're new to Studio Break, we want to let you know Studio Break is a podcast, a blog site. We feature a variety of different artists. I interview them about their studio practice, and we share these interviews and discussions on Studio Break, so please check them all out. Once again, artists have a feature of their work as well as links to their websites, and you can listen right in the default player or go to iTunes, so you can find a number of different ways to check it out. We do want to let you know that our 2015 competition is now open to all BA, BFA, MA, MFA, and professional artists, so if you're interested in being on Studio Break and maybe winning a solo show, please apply. Once again, you can find out more information at studiobreak.com. And lastly, before we get to the interview, I just want to let you know we are in the social media sphere, so please like and follow our Facebook page. You can follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr and tweet us at Studio Break. All right, so that's out of the way. Let's talk to Sarah. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Sarah Pedigo. How are you this morning? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great, you know, chatting with you already. Uh, it sounds like we're going to have a lot to discuss. Uh, but before we kind of start, we're, you're speaking to us uh, from Florida, right? Yeah, St. Augustine. It's the nation's oldest city, officially. That makes it all the more, I don't know, interesting, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good place. And so are you from there originally? or? No, I grew up in South Carolina. But my family moved to Gainesville, Florida, where University of Florida is, when I was in eighth grade. And then I ended up going to undergrad at Flagler, where I teach now in St. Augustine. And so I've spent a good amount of time here now. I really love it. Does that experience moving, I mean, is that something you think about South Carolina much or um, when you after you had moved, I guess? You know, it's funny because for a long time, I like identified as someone from South Carolina, and now I feel like much more like a Floridian. So, you know, I I was really like angry when my family moved because I just hit some like weird middle school pecking order. I at least moved up the social chain a little bit, but sure, sure. You know, the biggest thing that I think it influenced me. I just realized this because. I'm thinking about moving houses soon is that my family moved every like four or five years. We just kind of, you know, switch a town or whatever. So I just realized that I've actually, the house that I'm living in right now is the longest I've ever lived somewhere because I've like hit, I'm going to hit eight years this summer of living in this house. So that was kind of a bizarre 
realization. So in terms of just kind of growing up, I mean, were there a lot of things that you were interested in, in doing kind of creatively speaking? I mean, were you someone that, that drew and, and painted, you know, back in the day? I didn't grow up in a house where there were artists or like we didn't, I didn't go to my first museum until I was in college in undergrad. So, mm-hmm. so I, I kind of always was like copying things like out of books or cereal boxes. And my family was pretty sort of supportive in that that was just something that I did a lot, but it wasn't nurtured in a way that I think like some, some people go to art camp or, you sure, know, sure. it was kind of a like lower middle class background where it's like, Oh yeah, you draw things, but n- no real further yeah, it, it makes me wonder, like, in terms of especially now, like, seeing your work, there's so, so much about, like, different settings and different observations. It makes me wonder if you took photos or anything like that. Yeah, not really. I, you know, I wasn't really good in school, and I figured out, I got by, but I figured out, um, like, two years ago that I'm dyslexic. I, would, I think I always knew I was, but I, there's this HBO documentary on dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And I watched it and I was like, oh my gosh, that is like my entire life. Like all these weird coping mechanisms to like get through mm-hmm. school. So I, I definitely like had this, like I could draw. I couldn't do a lot of other stuff. I'm definitely always getting like terrible grades and spelling. Was that something that you kind of thought of then as like something that you could pursue as a, as a career? Or was that something that came through kind of, you know, like you were saying earlier, kind of starting your undergraduate and kind of recognizing or learning it there I was really freaked out moving when my family moved to Florida and I had been in an art class in seventh grade and it was really fun and and then there wasn't any art programs in the middle school that my family like transferred to and so then when I got to high school I thought oh I can't take an art class in high school because they're going to be too good like I'm not good enough to enroll in high school art. I don't, that seems so ridiculous now, but my dad convinced me in 10th grade, like you should just take an art class. You always liked art. I'm like, Oh, I don't think I'm good enough. And, and then when I did my, my teacher, Mrs. Esposito, I was like obsessed with her. And I think that was the first time it clicked to me that you could like what something I could be as a grown up. Like I, like after I don't know, a semester, I was like, I'm going to be Mrs. Esposito when I grow up. So, <laughs> so, so then when I went to undergrad, I started out as an art education major because I really, I had just never thought about having a career, I don't know, having a job as an adult before that. What kind of a, what kind of things were you interested in uh, taking at the time? I, I would imagine that you know, working representationally is something that's always been something interesting, or, or is that something that kind of came about just through studying and kind of being immersed in, in that? Yeah, I think I've always been interested in in making representational art. Uh, one of my painting instructors in undergrad, Maureen O'Neill, would make these. She still is a painter, but um, she works abstractly and and with really thick paint. (laughs) Um, and I thought like, those are so amazing. And for a little bit, I'm someone who like definitely gets excited about someone and then decides I want to be them. And that seems to be a repeating theme for me, but, but I never, you know, it's like the first time I saw her paintings, I was like, I'm going to be Maureen O'Neill and make those kinds of paintings. And it never happened. I'm just so naturally drawn to making representational imagery. I, 
it's it's been like any kind of like project in in school where you had to kind of step out of that was really hard for me and I never enjoyed it in the same way that I do making representational work. Which is interesting. I mean, again, that that forces the next question. I mean, those those introductory classes that it sounds like everybody, you know, loathes where they're like measuring for, you know, weeks and end and stuff like that. I mean, were those those classes that were kind of like break breakthroughs for you then? I don't know. I, I really like I I had never done so well in school before mm-hmm. I started just taking studio classes, which it sounds like maybe you had that experience. So now I'm going to probably say the opposite of what I said before, but for every class, I like just tried to like as earnestly as possible do the assignment. So even if it was tougher for me, if I had to build like a geometric masses out of like map board and cut 45 degree angles and super glue them together and sand it down, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to do then. If I, if this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to be the best one at doing it or something. So I like, I think like my, my experiences with drawing classes too, were a lot more, a lot less structured. Like when I teach drawing classes now, like introductory drawing, I'm like incredibly structured with teaching, citing and and measuring. And, and maybe that happened in my classes, but I don't remember it at all. It was much more like set the still life up and feel it, you know, make a charcoal drawing. I don't know. What kind of other classes um, or, you know, other influences, I guess, were kind of going on at the time? I mean, obviously you're, you know, hopefully getting more invested in art history and having, you know, intense discussions and things like that. Were there other things that were kind of, you know, contributing to your your thinking of like, man, I could kind of do this, you know, as as a living maybe? You know, when I was in, in painting one, this is like such an obvious assignment, but you have to do we had to do a master copy, you know, so it's like go to the library and find a book, a painting that you like and try to recreate it. And I found this like really thick book of Raphael Sawyer's paintings. And it had like, it was like a retrospective or, so it had all of his early work, which I thought was really awful. And then like his later work where he's like painting in the East Village and and painting like women in mini skirts in the 60s, I think. And, and that was like this really huge breakthrough for me because I was like, if he was this bad in the beginning and he just kept painting and he got really good, then that means I can do that too. Mm-hmm. When I first took my official painting class, I was like, oh, I want to be, you know, I want to be a painter so bad. Something about that just clicked or it seemed right. So, so seeing him develop over those pages really gave me hope, I guess, that I could be a painter and get better. I mean, was it all oil painting when you'd started then? In my experience, my 2D class, whatever name that might go under now, we used acrylic paint. And I remember um, we had to do this, I don't some like, you know, these little abstract squares that had to mean um, an emotion or something, mm-hmm. or maybe like a, a time of year. And I remember the teacher going, well, some people just aren't naturally meant to be painters. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like they were really bad and awful. So, but yeah, painting one was in oil and it started out, you know, as life painting. And, and that's when, so maybe that's answering your question from before. It's like me trying to make an abstraction about like a season or 
fear or something. It was like the worst student, like, you know, just awful, like red equals fear, but (laughs) trying to like figure out how to paint an apple with oil paint was a lot more exciting to me trying to figure out the color, the drawing. Well, and so were there things that you became interested as you kind of, you know, began kind of investigating this path? I mean, in terms of like a subject matter? The work that I'm making now seems so much more connected to to what I made in undergrad than what I ended up making in grad school. But I was really kind of obsessed with just different painters that were painting the figure and also just their surroundings, like Fairfield Porter was like really a big influence for me in undergrad and Lucian Freud, I was like so obsessed with him too. So in a lot of the work that I made, I just was painting like, I mean, so similarly, but with a very different mindset, like stuff around my house or painting a self-portrait or Mm -hmm. going and painting a landscape that I drove past. And so I'm I'm curious then, so was, was all the painting that you were kind of doing from life and, and, and based off of that, or was it also kind of based off of photos or how did you work? It was almost exclusively from life. I went through like a, a brief, like Francis Bacon phase where I was taking Polaroids, trying to make really moody things. But for the most part, I was making work that was observational and perceptual and from life. And and I think a lot of it was just trying to learn to see and, and like, you know, there's so much more, it's so complicated working from life. I mean, it's kind of simple and that the thing is in front of you and you're just trying to make something look like it, but mm-hmm. you know, it's so challenging to actually try to mix a grain that matches the grain you're looking at or right. trying to record like the optical effects of light. So, so a lot of like, I think the work I was doing was just trying to get better at being a painter, being able to control painterly choices and not having things be sort of circumstantial. Oh no, completely. You know, I th- I th- and again, I think that's, um, <laughs> again, my, from my perspective, it seems like that's the basis of it, you know, um, just so, so that you can kind of have all those things in your mind, you know, so that when you need them, you could just kind of you know, pull them out. I have this conversation with students a lot that, cause they're worried about, they want to be original or, you know, so they're like, I want to work from my head and not from life. And I always say like, everything that's in your head is just from what you've seen so far. So why not try to see a little more before you cut off, like in taking stuff from the world around you or. Well, and it's so easy to miss everything, you know, we're so busy which is, I think, one of the things that's so appealing to me about that that process, you know, like I think, and granted, maybe experience is a bad word, but I mean, you know, it's an experience to be sitting in front of something for hours and trying to, you know, replicate what you see. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, and I think there's just an, uh, like, an inherent amount of, like, time and slowing down, and, and I think that it gets harder and harder, I mean... When I was in school, I didn't have a cell phone, so there wasn't like you know this like little computer to distract me all the time. But <laughs> but just that like a sheer amount of focus. I mean, that's you have to kind of train your brain to slow down, or you know that you're going to just sit and look at stuff. Is it something where you're always kind of got your eyes open for you know the next possible painting, or, or kind of noticing? 
you know, the way light hits this or that, you know, just any kind of thing that you go, man, that could be a painting. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, I mean, this is jumping to now, but again, I, I, I feel like a lot of the same concerns I had them as an undergraduate and I just hadn't contextualized them. Like I didn't have the sort of conceptual framework around it in the same way, but when I'm in the world, I'm sort of constantly looking at just the way light is falling on things and, and thinking like, Oh, that could be a good painting, but also just trying to appreciate my surroundings. I mean, so much of, for me looking in the world is just trying to be happy in the places that I am. Like pretty much anything can be beautiful with the right light falling on it. So how, how did you wind up uh, uh, getting to graduate school? Was it a, an immediate thing or was it something that you had to take time off or what was that like? Yeah, I took it. I took a year off. Uh, my undergraduate program didn't have a BFA at the time. It does now. So I just had a, a BA and I also like majored, this is weird and I hadn't even thought of it, in stained glass and fine art. And it was just fine art. There weren't like, um, there was no, it was just a studio art BA, but mm-hmm. I ended up doing a lot of painting. Um, and so I, I knew I wanted to get my MFA and I knew I also, or I at least was pretty sure I wanted to teach, but at that time I had like switched my, my teaching role model, I guess, from my high school teacher, Ms. Cespedo mm-hmm. to my college teacher, Maureen O'Neill. So it's like, now I wanted to be Miss O'Neill. And, and so we had talked about like how an MFA is necessary. And, and that was new to me because I didn't, again, when I went to, it seems crazy that my parents even let me do it. But when I went to undergrad, like the fact that people got masters in paintings, like I didn't realize that at all mm-hmm. when I started things. So, so I took a year off and, and for me, I knew I needed to make a stronger portfolio than what I had. And I also wanted to prove to myself that I could just work and pay the bills and paint every day. And, and then it, I thought, well, if I do that, I'll have better paintings to apply with. And then I've proved to myself that I'm really going to be an artist. You know, I can do that, make it work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I took a year off and I worked at a stained glass studio um, that was in town and, and then painted a lot and then applied to schools. Where did you wind up then? Yeah, so I ended up at UMass Amherst and it's a three-year program. And I mostly applied to three-year programs because I felt anxious about two years seems short. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Two years seems really short. I felt like a third year would be better. And I mostly applied to schools that were all like far away from Florida. Cause I decided that I really needed to like see more of the country or be in a different place, um, get away from home. And I wanted to go to a big school since I'd gone to a small school for undergrad. So I applied mostly to like big public universities. And I really liked UMass because they had this New York program called uh, NIPOP, which is the New York Professional Outreach Program, where you went to the city a couple times a month and saw art. It was about three and a half hours away from New York. Mm-hmm. But I was such a, like, small-town girl that, like, even going to New York seemed so scary to me. So, like, I could go to a 
a school that's kind of out in Western Massachusetts with a lot of farmland and then get transported to New York fairly regularly. So, so that was a big reason why I ended up going there too. You know, I know that especially for everyone, you know, that experiences, you know, certainly something that varies so much, um, the grad school experience, but did you have any first impressions that you can kind of share? I mean, was it, you know, nerve wracking kind of being around all these different artists or was that something that was kind of cool to kind of be, you know, around all these people that you're like, Oh man, I, you know, wouldn't have thought to make paintings like that or, you know, make artwork like that. Or It was so eye opening. I mean, all of the, my like fellow peers and students, they were just really fantastic and, and they were really making a diverse, diverse bodies of work. So it was this like really huge eye-opening experience for me, you know, to, to be around people that like are completely dismissive of representational work, even, you know, <laughs> like, and, and not like in a pejorative way, just that's the, they don't care about it. You know, it's like, that's irrelevant to them. And for whatever reason, it's like the program that I was in in undergrad was small enough and, and definitely there are some museums around here, or maybe this is me just being, uh, doubting myself. But when I got there, I was like, everyone has seen more art and read more books. Like I've got like major catch up to do what, you know, I don't know anything and I'm sure I knew some things, but I definitely got to grad school and was like, crap everyone is way smarter than me. And so I don't know what that means, or I don't know what your experiences were. There like a lot of pressure to, to stop making, you know, representational paintings then, or? Um, not really. I mean, that was the other thing that surprised me and, and maybe it's just like, I didn't know. And, and I'm not sure what other people's experiences are, but there was, it was not like, I, for whatever reason, I assumed I was going to be in classes more than just kind of like given a studio, which was a first for me. I hadn't had one in undergrad and just told to make your art, you know, and then you have critiques, which is great. But so there wasn't like pressure from faculty by any means to stop making representational work, but, but just seeing so many other types of work being made by my peers, I think was eye-opening to me. This is like really bad and, and dates things. <laughs> my like first year, cause I was so like anxious about it. I kept using the shock and awe, which, mm -hmm. you know, um, from the Iraq invasion, but it's like, if I can just make more pieces than anyone else, then I can't, then no one can tell me I'm like not doing good or Right. So that was kind of my strategy in going into graduate school and, and, and sort of even my strategy in undergrad. It's like I might not be as good as some of the other people in the class, but if I just spend the most time or make more than everyone else, like eventually something's got to be good in that mix. No, I think that I think it's very rational. You know, you can't kind of like what you were talking about before in terms of just talking about the things that kind of get hung up in students' heads. I think, um, there's this idea that, um, you know, just happens kind of instantaneously, you know, like it's, a, it's amazing what even just two months of hard work will do in terms of just what you can learn, you know, but you have to kind of be willing to kind of engage like that. And I'm sure that's probably why, even though everyone I think is very like self-deprecating, I'm sure you noticed, you know, like, whoa, I'm kind of getting, 
you know, more efficient at this or kind of like learning, um, I don't know, better, better ways of managing palettes or, you know, light or whatever. Yeah. And so what kind of subjects were you interested in? Cause you, you talked a little bit about how, you know, what you're interested in now kind of maybe reflects more what you did in undergraduate, but what, what were you interested in graduate school? What kind of things did you explore? There's this like really big split for my graduate experience in the type of art I was making. And it, I think it has more to do with like a personal, personal events, which I can explain or, or flesh out. But I started kind of doing the same stuff, like representational, representational work, observational work from life, looking around me, like a lot of self-portraits, some spaces, um, landscapes. And, and one of the things that I ran into is that, you know, I'm like just churning out like tons of paintings. So it's like painting a day, painting a day. And, and they're sort of like middle size. I mean, I don't know, like nine by 12 ish scale, maybe 18 by 24 is the biggest. And I started to get this pushback, like, why are you making these choices? And, and probably complete denial. It's like, I'm, it's, it's about looking, it's not about, you know, it's mm-hmm. not about the final image or something. And so I ended up making these like crazy little at the crescendo of all of that, I guess these, they looked like film strip paintings and they were from when the printmakers were cutting um, L grooves or into a panel of wood, you like slice out this long thin strip of wood that's about like an inch tall and, and really long. And then they were doing that in the wood shop to make frames for their prints. And, and I was like, I'm just going to make a ton of paintings on this one little strip. And then, then they all have to live together and and no one will tell me to edit because I can't because they're all on the same thing. So I ended up making this series of, I think I made about five of them. And they're on these, so they're one inch tall and then like somewhere between like five and nine feet long. And I would just make like, they would have like 70 little one by one and a quarter inch paintings all the way across it. Good gosh. Which they were like, the, they were kind of like really crazy little Paintings, and I probably would have only made them too because my studio was this really weird, long, narrow space. So it worked. I kind of taped them to the wall, and or would drive around in my car and then tape it to my car, paint a landscape. <laughs> yeah, so it was really perceptual for a while there. And, and do you get like the like I don't know like the magnifying glasses out when you're kind of working that small? I didn't the whole time. I was doing those, but. After after that, I ended up doing a lot of photo base work, and I was trying to copy these photos really, really exactly. And I ended up buying reading glasses that magnified things, mm-hmm. so I could see details. And I know this is not the case for everyone, but it's it's way easier for me to work small than it is big. And I like to joke that I should have been like a like a miniaturist, like a <laughs> one of those little court painters that make the portraits on IV or something in a different time. Because it seems really easy to make a small painting. It seems a lot harder for me to make a big painting. It just strikes me as being very difficult to work one one inch high, you know? Like, I'm just like, God, I don't know how I'd do that. Um, so I think yeah. that you have to at some point kind of like, oh, this is just how it is, you know? This is how it is for this series or that series. But Yeah, yeah. And I had this, like, these really small, like, barely any hair brushes that I think, like, made it easier. But there was something, like... You don't have to solve this is going to make me sound lazy, but if it's like a one inch high painting, like one little mark can be a whole field. Like you don't have to problem solve in the same way that if that was like 
blown up to, I don't know, like even just a foot painting. Sure, we sure. have to make a lot more choices to like communicate the same amount of information. There's an economy to it that I, that I really enjoyed when I was making them. And, and I still make a fair amount of paintings that are really small, not that small, but that are pretty small. And I'm, I'm curious then, so the, the works that you're doing based off of photographs, I mean, were they kind of like loaded with some kind of particular content or anything like that? Or were they still kind of these, um, you know, these kind of like settings from, from the day to day? So when I was in school, it was probably, it was my like second year. My mom was like, just got really sick and had cancer and she had had cancer for most of most of my life, different, different forms of brain cancer. And and then she got sick again. And, and that experience was just really fundamentally impacted everything that I ended up making. And, And she ended up passing away in April of my second year of grad school. And I inherited this like big box of family photos Mm -hmm. during that entire process. And, and they sort of ranged like from her childhood like through the early eighties to my childhood. And and they were the photos that hadn't made it into like frames or photo albums. And they had just all been shoved in this box. And so like right around the time of her getting really sick again, I like ended up having to come down to Florida to see her. And any, it was, it's like so complicated. I won't get into it. It's like a lifetime original. (laughs) Um, But I ended up getting that box of photos. So, I, I just think that like trauma of that experience like impacted me far more than I, I think like I'm um, nine years out now almost from her passing away and I can start to have some perspective on it that I didn't have then. But so I started like just almost instantaneously. I had also been a little bit adrift and, and, and this may have happened to, to you or to other people that you know, but it's like I had already kind of broken down, like feeling unsure about stuff and had started experimenting and making really terrible work, um, following those little film strips. Mm-hmm. So, so then I just started like looking at these photos all the time. So I sort of switched instantaneously to making all of this like work based off of photos of her from her childhood. It's like the Roland Barthes, like classic, like mm-hmm. five-year-old mom in the photo. And I, that ended up sort of like taking hold in a way that up until I think about like last year is when I really started painting from life again. I mean, I was sort of like mining this box of photos for a long time for content and it, it sort of overtook all of the paintings for a while. Is, is that something that kind of made you think differently about like your, your day to day? Cause I, you know, I think of the, those types of photographs and again, I've, um, my folks have, uh, like a garage full of them that I, that I had to go through for, I don't know, some, some event like a 60th birthday, but you kind of realize there's all these kind of like memories and experiences kind of like tucked away and kind of preserved and, you know, seeing stuff like that makes me more conscious of how those things are in my life now. And so I'm just curious if that was something that, I don't know, is that something that you kind of see as, as kind of relating or, or maybe kind of like bridging those experiences or maybe getting you to reconsider, 
I don't know how you live your life, I guess. It, so I know they're very easy to unpack all of that, but <laughs> like there, there were a set of photos that ended up making a lot of different variations of types of paintings off of them, but they're like from the early fifties, these little square black and white photos of my mom's childhood that I, I think that I kind of got like sucked into this like fantasy world. Not that they're for a long time was sort of like sucked into romanticizing those, those images or, or, or thinking about like how beautiful those spaces were, like the, the light that seemed to be in them or, but I, I, but I think that I, I like spent a lot of time sort of idealizing these past moments that may or may not have been that idyllic in reality. But, but I think it, it was good for me in a way to, to like live there. And I think it was, I mean, really like kind of a selfish coping mechanism to, to look at those like photos of, of people being together and that I think that I I definitely just like got sucked into that world for a while and and like now in this last like year and a half of starting to work from life again and how exciting it's been for me that I realized it's like the best analogy that I've come up with for it is that I just was like roaming around in the past for a long time and now I'm finally able to like be in the present again and I think most of my work before that had been about being in the present and observing stuff so it's like I took this weird little hiatus and lived in someone else's timeline for a while and I would imagine that things like the the scale of these paintings are are they kind of like similar to the ones that you're making now these these paintings on photographs that you were doing for years in some ways, like the work that I ended up making from the photos and, and being in, at least initially in grad school, like all of a sudden I had this great like conceptual meaning behind everything. And it's like about dealing with death or like, you know, whatever. But like all of the stuff that I think ends up being part of grad school where everything gets unpacked and and everything has to have meaning and purpose. And, and not that that's not the case with any art that I make now, but I think you're allowed to make choices and not have to defend everything when you're not in school Sure. in a way that I think is nice. And so a lot of the, the work just took like various turns. I mean, the first set of paintings I ended up making from them were these little 12 by 12 kind of trying to hyper detail mimic everything that was in those square black and white photos. And then I ended up making these larger like 22 by 30 paintings on paper where I was kind of cutting out the figures and then hyper-realistically painting them on this paper. So it almost just looked like I had made a collage of it. I mean, it was kind of like pointless in some ways, but, and then they switched and were these bigger things that were vignettes with photos in the middle. And I know, I mean, it's like they took, I really like painted those same photos so many times in so many different ways but every time I at least especially when I was still in school it's like I came up with a new grand scheme for what it all meant and you know it's like they're cut out of their background so they are like decontextualized and they're floating in space you know or I don't know I was teasing about this earlier I mean that's that's it seems like again um 
you know you want to kind of put everything into your paintings or you want the you know what i mean you kind of it's weird you you don't obviously want them to just fall away from like a, somebody that's going to come up and look at them you know they're not going to be interested in it you kind of want like this i don't know this important like thing that they need almost like almost like you're making a drug i don't know yeah so it's interesting to kind of balance that out because i think so you know again you can kind of easily get more concerned with things that you're not ultimately that concerned with but I'm I'm curious, like in in terms of uh, the painting process, then, I mean, were they completely dissimilar from the way that you worked um, when you worked from observation in terms of the way that you kind of construct them, or is that painting process kind of similar in terms of, I don't know, the way that you work? Heck, that um, could probably just be a whole podcast right there. How has your painting process changed? Would you say in the past ten years? You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that initially I got like really into this. I don't know if I would even say photorealism uh, because I would kind of hand draw them out a lot of times. And I, I sort of liked if something got a little wonky or different. But but I, I did like I think in a way that is just almost impossible when working from life or at least for me. I'll say that for me from working from life, I just don't get obsessive about details and working from the photos. I hit this like point. I think it was a way for me to get lost in it too. Like, but I would just get hyper obsessed with detail, you know? So it's like, it looks just like that little photo. And Mm -hmm. if it, if the photo is blurry, I'm making the paint blurry, you know, not that paint can be blurry, but that make the paint appear to make a blurry image. So I think that that was, it was really different. Um, It was really just a totally different experience. And, and then I, I think I ended up later trying to approximate some stuff. And I realized like I had this crazy breakthrough that I could just paint one of the black and white photos as a color painting and, and invent the color. And in that way, I think it started to connect a lot to all of those years of observational painting, you know, cause I could look mm-hmm. at a tree and at least determine in my head what color that was going to be. Well, people bu- maybe build it up into their head, what that means, you know, kind of trying to really be accurate or, but it, it sounds like then just all those years of kind of working the way that you have allows you to kind of really access that, you know, as a, as a resource, like you're saying to just kind of know what that tree could look like you know, within the context of an image to, to be able to make it work like spatially and with colors. Um, is that just something that, that winds up becoming like a big resource for you? Yeah, I think it really, it was, and it allowed me to work with those images or, or start to do stuff with them that I, I probably wouldn't have been able to do. And And that's like an interesting thought because I know one of the discussions that I had a lot in graduate school is like whether or not having any kind of observational training is relevant to an artist today, you know? Mm-hmm. And and for me, at least, like, I just, I think you can invent so much more if you've spent a lot of time looking and, and doing that perceptual work that is inherent with like sort of representational observational painting or drawing. Yeah, yeah, completely. And and again, as I'm as I'm sitting sitting here, you know, scrolling through image after image. I mean, you know, especially kind of like moving into like more current work. I mean, one of the things that I, you know, notice immediately is just how much variation in terms of the color and and the textures and and the light um, that's in your work. I mean, it's really it's really subtle. 
So maybe in continuation of that thought, I mean, it seems to me like it'd be very difficult to come up with that if you hadn't been so rigorous in, in terms of just observing prior to that. Yeah, well, thanks. That's nice of you to say. Well, it's funny, too, to me, because, you know, I started to, in the last couple of years, I started incorporating, like, new photographs with old photographs and was mixing things and making hybrid spaces and timelines. So it's like my niece could be in a photo with, like, a relative that's, like, deceased, Um but I, I realized, like, in this, like, last kind of, like, transition to the paintings that I've been making now, again, from life, it's, like, when I look at those paintings that I was making the last couple of years, it's, like, ugh, those colors are so dead to me or they're so <laughs> generic. Like, it's, like, ugh, that's, like, just, like, lazy mixing or, or just that I hadn't, I just hadn't been looking in the same way that you look when you're, well, when I'm mixing colors from observation it's like there's so much more variation in our in perceptual information than any photo can contain that it's like they kind of become these like generalized greens or I don't know. No, completely. I mean, I think that's one of the things that strikes me. I mean, even the, like the the first um, you know the first landscape that's listed on your website, um, you know, under your current paintings. I mean, there's so many subtle little variations. Um, it gives me a headache, like in the sense of like having to do it myself, you know, like I'm just like, geez, man, that must be, it must be a process. Um, I guess t- talk to, talk to me just a little bit about that process then. I mean, is it something where when you set up, you, you have clear, you know, clear goals in mind? I mean, what kind of, uh, preparation kind of goes from like the start to the, to the finish of one of these, if you could kind of walk us through it? I guess I would just like to start by saying how much fun it is to paint from life. It's And that's where I, I realized, like, last year, I'm going to go on a little, like, back note, but then I will answer your question, I promise. <laughs> last year, I was fortunate enough to get to teach, like, the BFA capstone, um, senior capstone portfolio class last spring. And I remember we were kind of on a break in between critiquing people, but I was talking about how I felt really stuck with my work and how I, like... I had like a couple of paintings that I finished since that were just like 80% done. I couldn't care about them at all. You know, it's like, I was like, ugh, I don't want to work on those. And I was talking to my student and saying how I was really like way more interested in like the pink sludge ring that was forming around my bathtub drain and how pretty of a color that I thought that was and how that seems like a much more interesting subject to paint than my stupid painting I had already started. He was like, (laughs) why don't you just paint that? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could, couldn't I? And he was like, yeah, you're always just telling us to, if you have an inclination, follow it. And you're, like, sitting here telling us how you can't paint, you know. And and I, like, went home that night and, like, set up for the first time in a long time my, like, French easel. And it was, like, half in my bathtub and half out of my bathtub and Like, it's just the dumbest setup (laughs) to try to paint the, like, pink slime that is in my dirty bathtub. (laughs) And and that was, like, it was just, it was, like, a huge weight was lifted off of me in this, like, cheesy way that I was, like, oh, I can just paint from life. So, yeah, that's, like, my weird diatribe. So if I'm going to be making a painting, a lot of times I'll just have, like, a, a kind of tally or list of things in my head that I think are 
like nice spaces at nice times of day, like when the light is a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so like over a month spring break right now, and I started a painting, um, of it's my, in my living room, this lamp that gets left on all the time overnight. And like right around eight in the morning, the light's really blue and the cast of that lamp is really orange and it goes across like my like gray wall to the white curtain that's crazy blue mm-hmm. and the light. And so that in my head, it's like, I know I've been into that light for a while. And so then I just, I set up and try to figure out like what surface I'm going to work on. And right now I just have a bunch of eight by 10 wood panels or 10 by 10 wood panels. And, and so I decided I thought it would be better on a square. And then I don't, I, it's like in my head, I always think I'm going to do more preparation in terms of composition or something like that, but I'm incredibly lazy and it never happens. (laughs) So, so then I just kind of jump into it and try to draw it out. So it fits just in paint on on the surface in a way that I'm happy about capturing enough of the information that's been enticing to me and, and hopefully leaving out stuff that I, because my house is always cluttered, leaving out some stuff that might not be as nice to look at. Yeah, and then I just jump into it, and I've got, yeah, so I've got this little French easel, and I've got all these tape marks all over the floor so I can get <laughs> back into the same spot, which my husband's very nice about. I was going to figure that you just had like maybe multiple ones set up throughout the house and you're like, oh, I got to go, you know, at three o'clock, I got to jump back to the kitchen and (laughs) work on that painting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just have, I mean, there's so many tape, taped out little triangles and then I leave them there too. Cause a lot of times when I finish something, I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's really done. So then I leave the tape. Like once I pull up the tape, then I know I really (laughs) done with that painting. And I guess I'm I'm just curious, um, like how long it takes for for one of these to come to come together. Are there some that that are I don't know, like a breeze, and then some that you're spending weeks on and obsessing over? Yes, um, <laughs> yes, and yes. Uh, some you know, some things just seem like they fall out really nice. Usually, I mean, even the ones that like really just kind of like slide together in an easy way take like two or three sessions and it depends on what the like right now in a couple paintings I'm chasing light so I really only have an hour where it's actually the light that I want and those end up taking like you know like I don't know a lot more sessions than like when I'm painting from a lamp in my house and and then I don't have to you know I can paint it as long as it's dark out the light is right because I'll turn on this crazy lamp so some, so, yeah, some happen really fast and some take like months, which is so annoying. Like this painting of my kitchen table from last year, what's it called? I think it's called, maybe it's called Minor Rearrangements. I should know the title of my own paintings. Yeah, I believe that's uh, the one. I, I, I've seen this one in progress. So um. Yeah, that stupid painting. And originally <laughs> it started out with this bowl of oranges on the table and I went through like three different things of oranges that molded and I threw them away. And then it's like, no one's allowed to eat the oranges while I'm working on them, which is is stupid. Um, and, and that painting just took so long and, and it ended up like the finished version of it. The light that's happening 
is like the light on the white curtains is actually like two different times of day. And the floor is, it, it ended up getting finished like in the spring where it rains almost every afternoon around four o'clock here. So it's like late afternoon when it starts to rain and it gets dark and you can see the cast shadow from the overhead light and you have light outside and that's when it got done. So, I mean, I don't know. Some of them, they drive me crazy. Like that painting still, when I look at it, I'm like, I hate you. You're such a pain. Why did you take so long? So, And I'm curious then too, like as you're painting then, are, is it something where you're mostly, you know, working with brushes? Do you have to kind of like scrape and, and scumble the surface? Do you, you know, wipe areas out? Or, I mean, are there any other kind of like, you know, ways that you kind of um, apply paint or anything that would be kind of interesting to, to note? Do you have a favorite brush? I'm just kind of yes. kidding. Kind of well, kidding, but I, yeah, I love like talking nerd shop about like that kind of stuff. I could do it all day long. Um, mostly their brushes. Uh, I would say some sometimes things get wiped out. A lot of times, if something's not going good and it, there's a lot of wet, I like mush it around and then go back and try to make some definitive little like tick marks about where I think some stuff should be or I just decide like it's not going to happen and then I kind of move some stuff around in the thing that I'm looking at to try to because sometimes it's like I think oh it's me that's wrong so so I try to mush out what I found and, and then refine some stuff and, and sometimes I like blame the subject that I'm trying to <laughs> I'm like no that's the thing that's wrong so then I switch out a component part of it are there are are there any kind of particular paint brands that you're you're loyal to because uh again i find it very interesting with painters um like all artists are super particular sometimes um but any anything like that for you yeah um a lot of well a lot of my paints are like just winsor newton um artist grade i've got a couple things at one point, I, I got some, some money, and I bought a bunch of Williamsburg paints. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So now I have the Facon Red, um, which they make. or I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it's like F-A-C-O-N Red. That's like a, a red that I use. It's that brand. But pretty much everything else is, is uh, Windsor Newton. And there are a couple of funny things. Like I actually realized that I like hated the Williamsburg French ultramarine mm-hmm. like it seems like too gritty and not transparent enough or something like I was like what is this this isn't <laughs> ultramarine you know it's like <laughs> what you just get used to what things do oh uh, you totally do I I had a recent experience uh switching to Williamsburg and um I have to repaint things a lot now <laughs> just because I just because I because you grow so used to like how like how consistent something is you know yeah yeah you just know how it performs I guess yeah exactly and and I actually just like bought some nice brushes I've never I've always like this is, I feel like really sheepish saying <laughs> this but it's like a lot of the paintings that I made in the last couple of years are with these like really kind of inexpensive nylon flats that don't last long. I mean, it's stupid, but the like a pack of them cost $10. And so then I just keep buying another pack for $10 to use the like number four flat. 
Um, and I just bought some rosemary brushes. It's like a UK brush company. Mm-hmm. And they're awesome. They're so nice. <laughs> and I'm like, why have I been painting with crappy brushes this whole time? That's so stupid. So I think I've officially just converted to those paint brushes. But we'll see. I mean, maybe I'll kill them in a couple weeks and then I won't think that they're so amazing. <laughs> Are there like any differences in terms of like the, the types of subjects that you'll paint now? I mean, I, like obviously physical differences, you know, interiors versus landscapes. Um, but I mean, I don't know. How does that, how does like what you're painting kind of dictate about how you're going to paint it? I mean, is that something that changes each time? Is it something where you kind of have just, just kind of jump in and commit and see what happens? Or For me right now, painting is just so much about like being alive and trying to be present in the world around me and like appreciating things like finding pleasure and simplicity or finding pleasure just in the act of looking. And, and so, so much of it is like kind of just getting excited about something and then jumping in and and seeing where it goes. Like it's, it's really intuitive, which I, I feel like that maybe gets overused, but for me, it is. It's just about trying to hang out and look at stuff. And like sometimes different subjects end up having different needs. Like I'm thinking about this painting that I made. Um, it's not one of the ones that I sent you an image of, but it's like a plate on this um, tablecloth. And it's just a really centralized little square painting. And, and that like felt like it needed to be a lot more detailed than some of the other paintings. Like some of the other paintings seem like they can be resolved with less information. No, no, completely. I mean, and especially like in terms of like, you know, how close you are to the subject or, you know, how, how small the scale is. Again, some of the, some of the paintings you have are still very, very small. So, but it's, it's interesting to think about because, you know, again, like, I mean, some of them also kind of, I don't know, border on the abstraction too, just in terms of like mark making and, you know, that exploration of light and color. I'm thinking specifically, you have a couple of them, they're called attention to fabrics. Yeah. And they're kind of like curtains. And again, they're like so textural and colorful. Um, Is that something that kind of like allows you that, that kind of freedom to just kind of be able to, even though I said jump in there, I mean, like, could it kind of just go like, okay, this is what it's going to be for this thing. Um, you know, and, and you kind of have to figure out what it's going to take to make that work as a painting. That happens a lot more for me from painting from life than it does for, from photos that like when I'm painting from life, there can just be a certain level of abstraction in the mark making and in the relationships that I find that when I'm working from photos, it ends up being more about the image. I just think there are sometimes a lot more like funny little relationships that occur when I'm painting from life that I, that I really like that I try to leave where it's like I've mixed four different grays for the same gray wall and they're Mm -hmm. sort of all living next to each other. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like that, that works for that. Even if, but if I was painting that from a photo, it would all be the same gray, you know, in the same lit area. So when you are painting that, I mean, do you, do you wind up having like big piles of like, kind of like stock colors that you've kind of like mixed up and then you incorporate them all? 
so the, it, it's kind of like more like drawing, I guess, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Because you're able to like kind of like work this layer and then you're going back and grabbing this other paint to kind of like work the highlights of this area and things like that. Yeah, I you know, I wish that I would do that. That's actually, it's like, oh, maybe I should be. I really don't. And so that's like a funny thing that happens recently. I, I keep thinking of it as the coffee pot painting, and it doesn't have a coffee pot. But I was painting this um, painting of my um, kitchen counter. It's called In Their Places. And, and now it just has like the opening of my dishes and uh, my coffee and sugar and there's a towel where the coffee pot was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mix the color every time, like, from... I end up mixing a lot less paint. Like, it's I'm not using a palette knife to mix usually. So so that when I, I repainted that blue wall so many times, and every time it was a little bit different, and I'm like, what, what did I use to make that blue last time? <laughs> I should be able to remember that because I, I'm the one that did it. Or, <laughs> like, you know, so... Sure. But I I really like that about about it. It's like how in the world did I even make that color before? And trying to get back to it, or and and I talk about this with my painting one students like or any of my painting students a lot. Like you can almost get it the same color a couple different ways usually, you know. And that's kind of fun to see like if you got at it with one mix and you can get almost the same color with totally different mixes, you know. That's so much fun to me about painting. Running out and then trying to have to kind of like match what you ran out of is, is just kind of a, a challenge in and of itself. Do you, do you have like every color under the sun that you're kind of incorporating into your palette too? Yeah, my palette's got too many colors on it. And I, I really love reading interviews with artists or their artist palettes. And the painter, Catherine Kehoe, she has her like painting um, teaching website where anyone can go on it. She has all these amazing links and she has like painters and their palettes. And I'm always astounded when painters are saying they're like limiting their palette more. Cause I think, Oh, that's a good idea. But I keep just adding more and more colors to it. So yeah, it's so foolish. I have right now like five different reds on my palette and, mm-hmm. and five different blues. I mean, that's too many blues. I could probably get away with like two of those, but I, I keep thinking that like, Oh no, that color is going to make the paintings even better. So I keep adding more color. You know, there's also another kind of thematic idea that's in, that's in a lot of your, you know, paintings or, you know, portraits and, and self portraits. Is that something that, I don't know. I mean, is that just kind of like a record of you kind of going through this? Is there something that you're interested in kind of, I guess, exploring as, as of yourself as a subject or is it just kind of, the same thing that you're going for in the other paintings, just something that that's interesting um, to kind of paint. Uh, you know, I think the figure is just like infinitely interesting to paint, and I really love so many figurative painters, historically and contemporary figurative painters, and and I I maybe it's like I'm lazy. But it just seems so much simpler to paint myself than to ask someone else to stand around. And, and I don't really have, like, a lot of extra money to pay models. And, and my husband's really bad at st- sitting still. <laughs> like, he's always like, I'll sit for you. But he doesn't actually ever really want to. He'd rather do his own thing, which I totally get. So that's kind of a dilemma because I 
I've like tried to come up with some strategies for like painting myself where it doesn't have to be me. Like I kind of cut my head off in a painting, but then I think that's weird because like (laughs) there, I don't like, it's like painting a female body seems like such a loaded thing too. So it's like such a hard negotiation for me to, I wish it could just be maybe the pure act of, of looking at myself and not, but you kind of, I mean, I guess you kind of can't paint anything without it being loaded with something, but the figure seems, figures seem like they have more baggage than like a lamp does. When you exhibit these, I mean, then, so you're, you're showing them all together. I mean, is that typically how it goes? Um, cause I, I don't know. I, there's something about kind of seeing, I don't know, just all these different interiors and, you know, still life kind of more oriented paintings and portraits and landscapes. I mean, it's got to be very interesting to see how all these start kind of speaking to each other when you see them up. Yeah, I think I'm always someone that thinks more is more. And I think that can be bad sometimes and get me into trouble. But I really like how if you only see one of them, then I think it's so much more about just whatever that subject is, or it's easy to read into that. It's strictly about that as opposed to, for me, they're, they really are just about trying to record like a bigger picture of life. That sounds really cheesy, but they, it's like some, so much more about just the act of looking and being in, in, in different spaces or under different lighting conditions and, than it is about the singular subject matter. So I think that that comes across a bit more when there are several together. Anything that you're particularly excited about, you know, going on in your current studio or any upcoming exhibitions that you're, you're working hard for? Yeah, I have a show that's coming up in July at the Ponte Vedra Cultural Center, which is like about 45 minutes north of here that I'm, I'm really excited about and, and trying to make some new work for and I have a show next spring, which is a little ways out at Barton College in North Carolina with the painter Susan Lichman. It's a two person show and that that is like crazy exciting to me and, and I can't believe I'm gonna be in a show with her. So um, very cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm excited <laughs> just to see the paintings that she makes for it or exhibits for it. So so yeah, so that's happening and, and I'm been on spring break this week so I I really tried to get three paintings going um I'm gonna try to potentially start another one too so so then I've got some loose ends that I can work on once I have to go back into the real world and and start teaching again excellent excellent so again obviously everyone can go um to Sarah Sarah's website at sarahpedago.com again thanks so so much for taking the time to uh speak with me today again it's been a a pleasure talking to you and, and getting to hear more about your work yeah well thank you thank you for doing the podcast and for being interested means a lot Thanks once again to Sarah for joining me and please go check out her website and work at sarahpedago.com And, of course, check out her blog, The Working Process, which also shows you the work as it develops. So it's a very interesting to look at. Check it out. 
You can also check out our upcoming show in July at the Panavidra Cultural Center. That's at Panavidra Beach, Florida. So check that out in July. Of course, our big announcement is that our 2015 competition is open. So please check it out and apply again. All the information can be found at Studio Break. Our juror this year is Julia Friedman, the director of Exchange Works, which is a unique organization that brings opportunities and artists together. The competition is open to all students, current and graduating BA, BFA students, MA, MFA, and professional artists. Once again, we'll be featuring three artists from each of those categories on Studio Break. In addition, one artist from each of those categories will be getting a solo exhibition, one at Jan Brandt Gallery in Bloomington, Illinois, one at the Peoria Art Guild in Peoria, Illinois, and one at Demo Project in Springfield. So it's very cool. And again, you can get a solo show out of it, so check it out. If you know any artists that would be interested in applying or maybe you know some students, whomever, please share this opportunity. We really appreciate it. And it all just brings awesome applications so please help out i always like to remind new listeners that we have a variety of different interviews that you can check out again through our archives just look on the left sidebar scroll month by month and check out all the podcasts that you missed or just follow the itunes link go to the itunes store and subscribe so that way you never miss a podcast and if you've got a morning commute it's a great way to get through it or maybe you just want to listen while you're working in the studio if you would be so kind please leave us some comments some feedback in itunes again it just helps others from around the world find this podcast and you can do your part you can also do your part of course by sharing studio break on your social media and also following it so if you are on facebook like many of you are please like and follow our facebook page for updates you can follow our tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr and lastly please send tweets to at studio break i also want to thank skylar mail for providing the music to studio break you can check out his website his music his art at skylarmail.com and lastly please check out my work davidlinaway.com you can see some of my paintings and that wraps our show so thanks for listening and we'll talk to you real soon everyone take care